talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Instead of a shovel and pick to dig deeper, Darren Denslow has his iMac G3 and rusty magnifying glass so he can dig deeper for the real story. This is Digging Deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Uh, Welcome back to TNT Radio. Yes, you're here with me, Didi Denzo, on a Sunday episode of Digging Deeper. Uh, You're just listening to me uh, chew the fat uh, on the COVID inquiry, on excess deaths, on plummeting birth rates with Francis O'Neill. And I actually see some of the comments coming in now on the live chat here on TNT Radio live, saying what a nice chap Francis is. Uh, And I'm sure my next guest is also a thoroughly nice chap. Uh, I've got Ivor coming. Uh, waiting for me in the room the fat emperor himself uh, Ivor is a technical manager a team leader a biochemical engineer a problem solving specialist technologist and public speaker of some note uh, he has recently uh, uh, recorded uh, and given a talk called governing in a planetary emergency there was actually a part one uh, to that talk that he gave which was about nutrition I know we said oh we'll, we'll quickly have a little mention about Eric Clapton to start with but I'm going to ask you for some nutritional advice uh, because I bought a new top yesterday I keep showing it off uh, and then then I looked sideways in the mirror after my friend who's down from London and said Darren you look pregnant when I asked her how I looked with my top Uh, and I think I have got a massive sugar belly that I didn't notice because I'm always looking in the mirror front on Uh, so uh, I'm just going to go straight to you I was going to do a story on Rwanda and immigration but it's a bit boring Uh, and I'm much more interested interested in getting some advice on how either I can solve the sugar belly that I'm developing in my uh, old age of almost 46, mate. How are you, Ivor? Good for you to uh, appreciate you coming on the show, mate. I love to get the correct messages out and counter misinformation. That's what I'm all about. Yeah. Uh, So any any advice then on how I can counteract my sugar belly? Because I... Well... Yeah, at, at its simplest, I mean, there's so much science in the last 10 years for me, but at its simplest, I always tell people that there's a thing that's causing most modern obesity and chronic disease. It's not really exercise, though that's important. It's the food we eat. And yeah. essentially, I keep it simple and I say the devil's triad. And that was my phrase to simplify. So sugars, refined grains, refined carbohydrates uh, and seed oils, the heart healthy vegetable oils, and they are anything Uh but. Uh, So those three things are together the problem with modern chronic disease, mostly overwhelmingly. So the question is, what if you avoid sugars and you avoid the seed oils, you don't choose vegetable oils and you avoid refined carbohydrates? Well, the problem is it's very difficult to do because they are the major constituents of most ultra processed foods. And the British Medical Journal a few years ago came out with the shocking reality that over 60 percent of UK calories consumed are ultra processed foods and they are the devil's triad. So you see how hard it is to dodge. The simple solution is eat real food only, which is meat, fish, eggs and above ground vegetables, ideally not starchy potatoes and sugary things. And that's it. Now, it's not easy because trying to eat real food after all the addictive processed foods we've been assailed with for a half century, it's not easy. But when you realize 
you gain everything. So you get mental acuity, weight loss, toning. You feel much better. Mood elevates. You're more effective, productive. Your whole world changes. That's how big the prize is to just eat real food. Uh, It's not just a bit of weight loss. It's everything. It's uh, it's almost certainly after the comment I got from my friends yesterday saying I look pregnant, uh, and I really do. It's like I'm a skinny, fat bloke, and it's the first time I've really noticed just how bad it is. Uh, my 2024 New Year's resolutions are going to be following uh, along the, the the guidance that you just give uh, me with regards to my eating habits. Sugar, stop frying in vegetable oil, uh, and don't eat any processed food. And I'm actually sort of uh, along that way. Oh, you're shaking your head at me. Uh, I'm along that way anyway but i think i need to put double down on my efforts okay uh, today we're going to be talking about uh less savory topics immigration uh the agenda that's pulling upon us uh the hate speech laws that they're trying to implement in ireland as a result of recent uh, troubles on the streets of dublin but before we get to all those horrible things uh, i just wanted to hear about uh your meeting with uh, a very famous guitar player uh, eric clapton uh, either yeah, well, actually, I got I don't know how I don't think it's particularly private, but he did a small charity concert in London. And because he had been very affected by the covid kind of madness in many ways and the mass medication, and he publicly had interviews on this and he did name check me. But I was delighted last week when he had obviously decided there's a whole bunch of people maybe who deserve some acknowledgement. So he contacted me and invited me and some family to come to this private concert. So it was around 200 people only and we got seats a1 to a4 right in the oh, front ideal oh, front row and you've got a name check as well so uh, that's definitely worth putting on uh, as a notch uh, on your bedpost mate okay let's get straight into it so what i wanted to talk to you i've got a few but none as as deep a notch uh, as uh, eric clapton is um ireland What's going on in Ireland, Ivan? We've got mass uh, uh, uncontrolled immigration uh, right across Europe. Ireland seems to be a particular hotbed or welcoming place uh, for people from Africa and other far off destinations around the planet. Uh, You've got an incredibly woke government in in Ireland. We've seen that there have been uh, some crimes that aren't hate crimes. They're just stabbing of children. You know, this is diversity is our strength. What's going going on in Ireland? Ireland at the moment, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, I said, Darren, many years before even COVID, which triggered all of the last few years of madness on climate and trans and all the other stuff and mass immigration, and many years before any of that, I said Ireland was basically a vassal state of the pharmaceutical industry. So around 60% of our GDP was biotech and pharma. All our politicians just fall to their knees in front of big corporate, big pharma, because they get jobs and they get, you know, they give tax breaks and they get a lot of money in and GDP. So that's the way it was. But now since COVID, Ireland clearly is not just a vassal state uh, of big pharma. It's basically a vassal state of World Economic Forum slash UN slash EU. So we're kind of a test bed or a prototyping bed to try out the most insane, dystopian, crazy stuff that they can think up up top. And like everything I'm going to say in this conversation is all published, all referenced in Rockefeller Archives, UN, EU, uh, zero conspiracy theory. And it's actually 
quite simple to work out. I mean, it took me a few months in COVID to get a grasp of the full root cause picture, which is my specialty. But once you get it, like in a real complex problem, once you've put it together and you've double verified with experts all over the world and you've documented everything, it actually is quite clear. So we can talk through some of where it's coming from. But yes, Ireland, the hate speech laws they're bringing in, we can talk about they're insane. The reaction to the stabbing of those poor children and the teacher was utterly insane. And like it, it is surreal to a lot of people who just can't understand how can this be happening in Ireland? But actually, the, the reasons are you could say they're complex, but but they're actually quite simple when you understand all of the pieces, the drivers and who's driving what. So let's, let's just start with uh, immigration. Uh, I've got an article here. It comes from an Irish uh, mainstream uh, 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 media outlet. Uh, it says it's not, Ireland says it's not able to house all those uh, asylum seeking in the Republic of Ireland. There are tent streets, uh, tent cities being uh, appearing on Dublin streets. Uh, the Republic is currently accommodating more than 100,000 people. I'm assuming these are legal immigrants. How bad is the immigration situation in mainland Ireland? Uh, and why are we being flooded uh, with people from all around the world uh, and into Europe? Right. Well, the why question, okay, is a is a is a big one. So we'll we'll put that aside for a moment. But suffice it to say, it's being driven from the top, and we can talk about that shortly. And that's why the crisis of accommodation on the ground simply doesn't matter. Our own politicians who are force feeding and ramming uh, migrants, uh, economic migrants, overwhelmingly, I would say, into the country, they're simply responding to directives. And those directives and where they come from don't care about a lack of accommodation. That's just the basic fact. So that's how you have this hard to understand scenario where the ordinary person in the street can't understand why all our politicians in lockstep are stuffing the country when we don't have capacity even, even if we wanted to, and we want to be good people and nice people. Uh, so that's that's that. The situation's very bad. I give an example, an actual fully published in the newspapers example. In the southeast of Ireland a few weeks ago, they had a nursing home for a community of around 1,200 people, I believe, and it was being built and it was badly needed. They switched it over, cancelled it, and they turned it into, and are working on it, a home for housing young male unmarried men, migrants. So it's not women and children, it's not Ukraine war. You know, no question. They're Georgia, the Congo, all over the world. And they actually canceled the nursing home. So the local people got a thousand people to march and the media basically just sneered at them and kind of called them far right. Yeah. I mean, it's insane, but that's what's happening. Multiply that by a big number. Hotels in small rural areas are being taken over and stuffed. And there's an embarrassment now in the government about the tent city problem. And they're saying, oh, this is terrible. It's embarrassing. But they made it because they didn't care a toss for our 15,000 or whatever homeless. They did nothing for them in the last 10 years. But now they're embarrassed after force feeding in 100,000 people or more in the last year or two, creating an obvious, inevitable problem. And now it's embarrassing. But the problem is they're responding to, to basically diktats from very far up the chain. And that's why there's this misplaced, this misfit between what they're doing and what the result is. That makes no sense. That's why. 
And uh, is uh, is the Irish government still? Uh, I'm assuming it's a stupid question. I know it's a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are they still bringing in or are people from around the world into Ireland now? So we've got tent cities on Dublin. They're going, oh look, this is terrible. How did this happen? Bring in more immigrants. Is that is that is what happening? Is it just going to keep just filling filling up the country there? It's not even before it's it happening. It get, I, I, it, it I never gets a I, little hurt. Hmm? Sorry, sorry. Go, go, go on. I keep interrupting you, Arthur. Carry on. Oh, well, oh, sorry, Darren. No, it, it gets a bit hard to tell because like COVID and like excess mortality, they begin to not share the figures so readily. So you can see the graph of immigrants to Ireland monthly. And of course, it goes off the scale in the last year or two. And Ukraine yeah. was the so-called reason. But mm-hmm. to be honest, the Minister for Children, which that's another whole story, He sent out last year a tweet in many languages, basically saying, come on over within a few months, you'll have a house, you'll have all these, uh, all the money. I think they get free phones as well. Ireland is open for business. Come on in, economic migrants. And it was indeed in Ukrainian. And there's a little bit of Ukrainian war stuff in there. You know, it's a good cover. But he also put in the languages of uh, East Africa and Congolese, I believe, and Georgian, so it's put out in all those languages. So the narrative was, oh, Ukraine. And everyone wants yeah. to help Ukraine, women and children. But it was heavily dominated by men, youngish men, who you'd think yeah. would be over there fighting like we would if we were at war. And also all these other areas. So it was clearly cover. It was a cover to maximum yeah. uh, influx of economic migrants. That was the reality. I, I, it's on the record. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if I was a Ukrainian man and I heard that the Russians were coming, I would have jumped on the first plane or bus or train out of that country and headed to the green pastures of Ireland. But there were actually a lot of videos when we had this influx of Ukrainian uh, refugees or immigrants uh, into the UK and into Ireland. There were quite actually quite a few videos going, are you from uh, are you from Ukraine and that? And there'll be a black person with an Indian accent or Bangladeshi accent or something saying, yeah, uh, I'm from Ukraine. So you said they used it as cover to, to allow immigration, but they, did they use Ukraine as cover to allow illegal immigration from everywhere except from Ukraine? Well, I think Ukraine also. So the cover story wasn't 100% false because, of course, they allowed plenty of Ukrainians in. Uh, otherwise, it would have been too obvious a fraud. Uh, but they just in the back door then put all the other languages out just to flood yeah. with whoever and anyone. And that's just the way it was. And that's effectively it's on the record. So and you saw all the videos and, yeah, you know, yeah, the people yeah. say, oh, yes, I'm probably Ukraine. Uh, there's no follow-up question that's answered because they can't answer it because of it. Yeah. And there's a huge thing that even got in our mainstream where countless people were coming in and they got on a plane with a passport because they couldn't get on without one. And when they got to Ireland, oh, can't find my passport. So yeah. I'd say it's there's amazing. masses of passports and trash cans all over Europe and way beyond um, that from the people who turn up in Ireland. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, uh, And uh, sort of just we're going to a break now. Uh, It's mainly men. Very quickly, we've got like a minute before the break. Why do you think? And I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna come on further in our conversation. Why it is mainly young men that people think, oh, we're important an army. Some people, oh, it's because they don't care about their women and children and they're leaving them behind in war zones. But we're bringing them in. Uh, Why are we bringing in primarily young men? Is it just from an economic standpoint? Well, I would my best shot at that is not about creating an army, uh, but certainly about creating disruption and undermining uh, cultural heritage, sovereignty, nationality and nationalism. Mm -hmm. It's certainly for that. But I don't think it's directly, you know, people say, oh, they're going to make an army. No, 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 no. It's simpler than that. So in the 1920s and 30s, the Pan-European Union documented an intention for a European super state, globalism, if you will. And they were serious and they were pretty heavy hitting guys. And they've been going ever since and many more groups. And they documented and had the idea and they are correct that you'll never have a pan-European full union, a super state of Europe, if you have all these different countries, like red-haired Irish with all of their music, and then you have Swedes, tall and austere, you know, with blue eyes. If you have that all across countries of Europe and they have their own cultures, you're obviously never going to make them into one big blob, one big blancmange super state of generic people. The obvious thing to do is flood in plenty of very foreign people. And in a sense, this is the funny thing. You get accused of racism if you talk about this fascinating topic. But the people who are driving it are the ultimate racists because they're using poor people and races as a tool to get global governance. Mm -hmm. And that's very racist to use people as Mm -hmm. pawns to pick and choose races that will most disrupt other countries. That's uh-huh. shocking racism, right? Yeah, it's 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 the worst type of racism. Oh, look at what yeah. you're from Plymouth. You're you're from a city that was built by slavers, and I think yeah, you're importing all these people in dinghies and bringing them in through you know planes, and they're losing their passports, and they're all from Africa, and you're going to use them as cheap labour. Uh, so you're right, it's an yeah. ultimate expression of racism, and the people who are the, the establishment, the elite figures, the globalists who are, are allowing or giving the, the orders for this to happen, they go around calling everyone racists and Nazis and white supremacists and far right uh, and actually that's just in a case of um, uh, a projection uh, onto the public yeah. like you just said it yeah. is the racists that are in power uh, we're going to carry on this conversation uh, just a few moments either uh, here on tnt radio rick munn on tnt radio there was a, a statement that i saw last week that i thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople the world economic forum spokesperson and one thing that she said that i thought was quite interesting was she said you know um there is been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation she said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around so that's not really taking off the way they want to either and then she said something very interesting she said you know what when the water crisis comes people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water and if you don't have water for a few days at a time you'll know all about it so maybe you know we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a world economic forum type narrative could this be what it is locked in Loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
The light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, Didi Denzo, on a Sunday edition of Digging Deeper. I'm here uh, chewing the fat with Ivor Cummins. I'm just looking at the live chats. A big shout out to everyone in there. Uh, I was, was just asking, why are they bringing all the young men into Ireland, UK, Europe? Uh, and uh, a comment here from Nige in the live chat says, the biggest weapon that they bring in is sperm and actually i'll sort of is he going to say it is he going to say it uh they're bringing in breeders aren't they as part of the clergy plan uh because they want to breed out uh, the whiteness of europe and northern america and probably australia to to create that homogenized uh, uh society where the english will finally get on with the french because it wouldn't happen unless we were all the same color and all the same religion uh so big shout out to everybody in the live chat keep your comments coming in uh, i will try to uh, ask either if we, if i see them in time um as a result of all this massive immigration there have been some violent incidents most recent one was the stabbing of uh, some young kids and women at school by uh, an algerian irishman he was sort of a naturalized irishman uh, what was the feeling uh, amongst the public not just on that incident, but on immigration in general. We saw the violence or the uh, the scenes in Dublin. That's now resulted in a push on hate speech legislation and censorship in Ireland. Can you tell me some more about that, please, Ivor? Yeah, well, that, that was classic uh, exploiting. So there's no question. There was two things. One, it kind of lit a, it, it kind of was the spark to cause a lot of trouble. And it's very important that people internationally realized the videos were clear as crystal. These were not far right. These were not ideologues. These were young hoods in hoodies who smashed windows, looted buildings and set police cars on fire. And it's happened before in Ireland's past, you know, so it was nothing to do with far right. You could say these young hoods were angry about migrants. You could even say some of them were a bit racist or whatever, but that's not the point. But the government jumped in and screamed like i said like a demented rosary you know the repeating of the rosary in ireland years ago a demented rosary far right far right far right far right and it was just comical to watch because they knew and had seen the videos and they knew there were a bunch of young thugs and the young thugs were taking advantage of the sentiment in the public that has become very, very concerned about uncontrolled migration and they just took advantage of it knowing the public were were angry at this stabbing it's time to like have a bit of a riot right that's what the situation was that is the fact uh, but the thing is the government then 
of course, saw this problem and we had a Red Sea, I think, official poll and over 75 percent of broad sector of Ireland said our immigration policy policy has become too lax and it needs to slow down. So 75 percent of people know there's a problem. They know there's a problem. And that's a fact. Uh, and it was taken advantage of. But it was amazing to watch the government see this problem. We know the people are angry. The broad swaths of people are angry. We know that we're forcing a policy that comes directly from above on them. That's why they're angry, right? And they're entitled to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, what any politician does, flip the truth upside down and use the situation. So they're actually using it, saying Internet hate is what caused the problem, right? So we need our new insane hate speech laws. They didn't say insane. They are insane, Darren. I can give an idea what's in these hate speech laws. They're please, just please. palpably insane. Yeah, I've actually got an article here. Uh, quickly, before I just touch on this uh, article about the new insane hate speech laws that are, uh, might be coming into to place in Ireland. Doesn't the fact that there are 75% of people who uh, are aware of the problem, unhappy about immigration, think it's a problem, doesn't that in itself create a massive problem? Because you've got 75% of people saying, no, stop, enough. And then you've got a very small minority in the government and uh, obviously taking diktats from above the world economic form, forcing this still, no, you will have this, you haters, you horrible people, you right wingers, but you will have more uh, immigration uh, it, particularly in Ireland, uh, I, I'm guessing it's fairly volatile there uh, because of the Irish and the red hair. Could we see that, there, that there's going to be more trouble on the streets in Ireland and around the west of the Western world? Yeah, well, that's clearly where it's heading. And our own prime minister that drove this madness personally a few weeks ago came out and went on the record and said, yeah, we've probably overstepped the mark. And, and he was actually saying what the people were saying. Now, that's very clever because he's a member of the World Economic Forum and he will intimately know what all these strategies are about. But he's covering his ass and speaking out of both sides of his mouth by publicly. He did the same in COVID, publicly going out and appealing a little to the people. And as I said, and I was talking to someone about this, he'll just say that, get a bit of calming down that, oh, maybe our politicians are listening. Let it settle and then open the tap again in a few yeah. months and flood the zone again. This yeah. is boiling frog. It's so obvious and so hard to watch. But yeah, it's heading for problems. And in any tyrannical uh, emerging government structure, which we're certainly in now, COVID and climate, it's clear as day, they'll use propaganda and they'll use coercion and they'll divide people to conquer, to get people fighting amongst themselves. This is as old as the Roman Empire and before. It's clear as day. But when you actually get to a point where the propaganda ain't working quite enough, inevitably you have to go to force. And that's where the hate speech law and yeah. I would say future draconian force and using your police forces comes into play. So, you know, the carrot you've used, the propaganda carrot, and then at some point you have to bring in a bit of stick. 
And that's what the hate speech law is, to give a legal cover for when they bring in a bit of stick and they can go over or go after people who have any problem with the government or any problem with these policies. You'll be able to nail them with these laws. That's what these laws are about. And I've got just a little paragraph, again, it's taken from an Irish mainstream media outlet about the new proposed uh, hate speech or hate crime laws in Ireland. And it says the creation of a new offence of incitement to violence or hatred is laid out in Section 7. Uh, the offence will be based on a person communicating material to the public that's likely to incite violence or hatred. The threshold for this offence is intent or recklessness. So this means the person actually intended to incite, vi incite violence or hatred. Furthermore, in Section 10, uh, there is an offence for those who create content that would incite violence with the intention of communicating it, but have not yet publicly communicated. So I can have some mm. memes saying, oh, yeah. you know, a picture of some boats on a dinghy saying, oh, we need to stop immigration. Uh, that could be considered, uh, according to this new proposed uh, Irish um, uh, hate crime law, uh, as incitement to violence. I could be punished, maybe even in prison for that. And yet it's never gone any further than sitting on my phone. Uh, how how uh, is all the Irish government going to be able to actually implement this? And uh, what pushback is there in Ireland to it? Well, yeah, there was. It went through uh, one of our houses of parliament of, of, as such. And of course, as usual, the politicians are clueless anyway. I mean, we're, anyone who ends up in politics nowadays is either just greedy, selfish, self-interested, and they're technically inept, all of them, because the talents that bring you towards politics are the opposite brain function of technical kind of smart, mathematical, etc. So we've got a bunch of idiots, sadly, and I know it's easy to poke at politicians, but it's just a fact, right? So that bunch were told, oh, the hate speech law is going to be all nice and it's going to stop extreme skinheads and far right crazy Nazis. And they all went, oh, great. And they signed off. So I went through the first house and then people became aware there was a significant campaign uh, that was successful and they put it on ice and they pulled it back off ice on the back of the stabbed children, which is hugely ironic, of course, because they've oh, turned yeah. truth upside down. Uh, uh, but that law, like you read some of it, it's very important people to understand. We have a 1989 hate speech incitement to violence uh, law and it's perfectly functional. It's been used 50 or 60 times, I understand. And it actually is people who have actually incited violence and it works. It's perfect. But what they've done with the new one is they put in anti-law, anti, you know, anti-logic, anti-anything. It's thought crime, minority report, 1984. It's essentially, if you have anything and one police constable or Garda, based on whatever he or she hears, can get a warrant from a very low level court and can knock on your door and take all of your equipment, diaries, writ anything they want. And they've written in that to not give a PIN number or an encryption code is in itself an offense, right? So it's crazy at that level. The other level is crazy is because the protected groups are around 10 or 11 now. And it's just yeah. absurd. Those groups, doesn't, they have no problem. So it's all false from the start. And they haven't even defined exactly what the hate is. And the other thing that's, of course, completely insane is if you have anything in your private possession, which you are entitled to have inside your own head, your diary mm -hmm. or a meme, yeah. it's up to you to prove that you would not 
have shared that more widely. So in other words, it's guilty until proven innocent, which is an inversion of the law in itself. So it, it's just beyond insane. I mean, I could go on, but the document like you have it, you can download it and read pages, think 10, 11. And it's just insane. It is insane. I, I don't like using that word too, too frequently. This is purely insane. And the reason it's insane is it comes from the top and the NGOs and the lobby groups. That's why it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um it is, and, and there's nothing more personal than your phone. And you just said, oh, it's up to the individual to prove that they weren't going to disseminate or publish something yeah. that was on that phone. That's going to be real difficult to do. Because you go, why have you got that immigration meme on your phone? Oh, I, you know, I, I just liked it. Uh, oh, no, we think that you was going to send it out. You can't prove otherwise. Um, I, I'm not sure how that's uh, going to be effectively enforced if that law is implemented, but they probably will use force in order to uh, implement and quickly oh yeah no i just gotta say you did ask me that specific question yeah a lot of people have raised the point that it's not implementable because it's so absurd the problem is it it gives a chilling effect even if it's not really implementable in a real way it's a yeah. chilling effect it's to make everyone self-censor yeah. so self-censor and that's one of its massive dangers also mm-hmm. during covid People brought cases against the absurd anti-scientific masking and a lot of the other nonsense, and they had the data to prove they were correct. And they used a judge at a low level to throw the cases out before they ever got in the court system. So the judges who are meant to be independent, we saw in COVID, they were on the blower to the government in some way, shape or form or on the golf course, but they knew the way the wind was blowing. And therefore, they didn't act as judges, as real judges. So they'd be the same for this. You'd have these bizarre findings against people who are kind of enemies of the government. And the judges will roll with it. Not 100%, but in general, it looks like the judiciary now is rolling with the narrative. Yeah. They've all been corrupted uh, and infiltrated mm-hmm. uh, by uh, various uh, various organizations, supernatural organizations. Yeah. You've mentioned the WEF, the UN, the HO, the WHO. Uh, they seem to have a massive controlling influence uh, over our politics and the agenda that's uh, uh, moving forward at a rapid pace. Uh, very quickly, before we start talking about the WEF uh, and some of the content of, of the speech that you gave in Southampton uh, recently, you said that... Uh, uh, some politicians intimately know what the plans are, what the, the the instructions they're receiving, what the purpose of those instructions are. Do you think that's actually true, or are they just like the uh, uh, like Varadkar in, in Ireland is just a puppet? He just gets told what to do. He doesn't question. He just does. You know, he just does exactly what he's told to do, uh, and therefore he has a very nice, happy, comfortable life uh, in accordance with his master's wishes. Do you think they intimately know what they're doing? I'd say, well, certain people like, uh, again, I can't prove this because this this is an opinion, uh, but the likes of Coveney, who was spotted years ago in Europe with some Bilderberg-y type people uh, in the street. And I would say from everything he's said and done, Varadkar also was personally on stage with Klaus Schwab, so he wouldn't be your average puppet. They have 4,000 young global leaders who have gone through the program, starting with Bill Gates, and then we have Macron, all the other, the lizard in New Zealand, Ardern. 
So I'd say the people like that uh, in the Young Global's leader, Young Global Leaders program who have got to high office, they in general would be very knowledgeable uh, about the full strategies for a super state of Europe and a world government. I would say a lot of the other politicians, however, will be just useful idiots. They won't really know much at all and they'll believe the nonsense. You know, I, I wouldn't have much doubt of that. But I will say something. Uh, this is funny. We met with some business people and, and medical people, pretty senior people. We were in a group trying to explain to the government with white papers in September 2020, the data on COVID. And we met with a very senior politician, uh, very and it was in secret, obviously, but not illegal, but it wasn't secret. And I gave a short presentation of 10 minutes, just the data on lockdown effectiveness, mortality, true impact and uh, mask effectiveness and seasonality, my basic stuff. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, I asked him, you know, would you have been aware of some of that? And he said, well, actually, I am aware of most of it. And he said, you'd be surprised at how many politicians in the Doyle uh, would pretty much be aware of that. But he said, the point is, they all know, don't say anything, that these whole things that are transpiring and occurring, they come from very high up and they're agreed at very high levels. Therefore, as an Irish politician, just keep your mouth shut. And he's, mm. people just understand that, even if they don't know the detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, they wouldn't be in the positions that they are if they weren't the type of person who was just going to do as they're told and keep their mouth shut. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. That's why I can only get 5% yes. of the vote when I stand in a local election, because uh, because I'm not somebody who's willing to say yes and no and wear a rose at. Um, okay, we're going to go to a break now, uh, Ivor. When we come back, I want to talk about the content of, uh, I know it's been sort of an undercurrent to our conversation, but the content of your speech in uh, in Southampton, uh, which I listened to this morning, it was very good. Uh, and, you, and you talked about Agenda 2030, the whys of what is happening. And more importantly, I want to pick your brain for some solutions uh, if you have them, because I am sort of bereft of ideas other than pitchforks. So please stay right with us here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. They say that everybody has a podcast these days, and I recently found out that Roseanne Barr has one, so I guess it's true. Now, I soured on Roseanne when she did this at a Padres game back in 1990. Well, here she is 33 years later on a podcast, hers, with none other than Tucker Carlson. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to the Roseanne Barr Podcast. I got a good one today. I got the guest of all guests. How do you feel about Trump saying he would consider you for vice oh, president? Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I put that in the category of asteroids striking the Earth. <laughs> good or bad, oh. it's so far out the side, outside of my control that I, you know, would I you mean, I'm flattered. Yeah, it is flattering, isn't it? For sure. But I mean, it's hard to, you know, I've never been in politics. I've never. Would you ever do it? Would I accept? Yeah, if you really have to ask think you. About that. Um, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at politicians and commenting on them and passing judgment on them. And I've never run for, you know, room mother. And so the idea of that is so far from 
anything I've ever done. It's kind of hard even to imagine. I didn't hear the word no. <laughs> Did you? Thanks, Roseanne. And thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. You're listening to Digging Deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, welcome back to TNT Radio. Uh, I'm here for the next 15 minutes. Uh, I'm chatting away with Ivor. I can see comments coming in on the live chat here on the TNT Radio.live website. Uh, all positive. Uh, Darren, your chat with Ivor is excellent. Any chance you could do a clip video of you and Ivor onto Twitter. Uh, TNT are in the process of putting video out in podcast form. We are live on YouTube and Rumble and Odyssey and, and Facebook and wherever else, uh, but we haven't quite got round to getting all the podcasts out in video but that should be coming very shortly and i'll speak to somebody to get some clips of me and Ivor uh chatting together uh Ivor, we were just talking about youtube and censorship i've actually had two videos taken down for missing medical misinformation you were saying that you was analyzing the metrics uh and uh you think that it's uh, actually fairly safe now to talk about vaccine now that the rollout is uh complete but you can't criticize the WEF or climate change that's what you're saying is that right? well that's what i've been i've been observing so i had a few linkedin posts taken down and i had a few youtube videos demonetized and basically the common factor is climate discussions and wefun or dr nordengards which was the basis for my southampton talk so the spotlight now if you talk about vaccines killing people yeah they'll still knock you off maybe but i haven't really been spending time on any of that uh, but it's very noticeable now wef un nordengard rockefeller history right they don't want you talking about that for obvious reasons because it's the why and if, if like even 20 percent of people had a basic understanding of geopolitical history uh which we'll talk about now uh this would be almost impossible to roll out because you'd have a sizable minority of people saying this is bullshit. It, it just comes from Rockefeller and the NGOs. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what's getting hit. And climate is their big strategy now that COVID's passed. Ukraine has passed. Yeah, we got Israel, Gaza. There's That's a murky one. But climate, as we can see with COP and next year's summit of the future, and the BMJ has come out with a huge report that 200 medical journals now are behind saying that the climate emergency is a health emergency so you see what they're doing they're trying to merge the two into one because yeah. people have to listen to health nonsense clearly mm -hmm. we saw that and climate they want to merge it in and they want to get the legal power of the who pandemic treaty coming next year and the world health regulations to be able to declare a crisis in health anytime and do whatever they want well, put climate in with health, they'd be able to declare a climate crisis as a health crisis. It's so obvious. 
And climate change causes pandemics. We get new viruses and new illnesses and new diseases as the temperature gets hotter. Yeah, I don't know how that works, but apparently it does. And what do we need? We need incompetent governments who can't handle pandemics so that we can have a WHO pandemic treaty. And these are some of the things that you discussed uh, in your uh, talk in Southampton. And uh, so my first question really is, why are we experiencing, why have we got all these uh, agendas related to climate change, health, Digital cooperation, quite like that one. Uh, gender equality and empowerment of women. Women used to have it all. My friend's down from London. She hates the fact that all of her uh, privileges that she had as a woman have now been stripped away with her uh, under the name of feminism. Uh, uh, education and skills. They're just some of the things that you've mentioned in your, your talk. They are uh, threads of an overarching agenda that's befallen us all. Agenda 2030. Uh, why is all this happening? Yeah, well, okay, just for Agenda 2030, and I printed out some of the slides there for quick reminders. So World Economic Forum joined up. They were already synonymous with UN. So the first thing for people to understand is if you're going to give a one-word answer as to why, and it's not the whole reason, but if you had to give one word, that word is Rockefeller. So the Rockefeller Brothers Fund in the 1950s put their massive money and might behind their huge family desire. It was a dynasty desire for a world government, globalism, internationalism. And they viewed the UN as their own club. And they gave the huge amount of money and the land for the UN building in New York back in the 40s. So they basically had control of the UN. And they also had a whole other load of other groups like the Council for Foreign Relations, the Harvard Commission. And they were connected in a massive way, and they wanted world government. And they knew it would probably take 50, 60, 70, 80 years. So they knew it would be after their death. But their sons took over, and their grandsons and granddaughters yeah. took over. So Rockefeller's a big thing. But they set up Rockefeller Brothers Fund. They brought in Kissinger. Everyone knows that old lizard, right? And he managed all their stuff and deep ties to CIA, which funded part funded the Harvard Commission back in the 60s and connections to State Department, government, everything. And there's no conspiracy theory there. You see, of course the CIA were involved because they saw that the Rockefeller movements to an international government, well, it'd have to have an American leadership because the CIA look out for America. So of course they had to be involved because it's the future world government. It's really important nationally. So there's no conspiracy theory here. It's all documented, but ultimately the decades went by, they created the Club of Rome, that's really important. 1968, richest man in Italy funded it. And it was a rich boys club to create climate catastrophe fear. It was a terrorist type group in a way. And the richest man who, who funded it, it was, what's his name again? Giovanni Agnelli, a richest man in Italy. He was a personal friend and on the board of Chase Manhattan Bank with David Rockefeller. So everywhere you go, Kissinger, Schwab, David Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller, Agnelli, on and on, all of these groups that have been built over 50 years with one view towards a world government, all the same characters are there throughout, and it's all documented. That's the beauty. We don't have to talk about weird stuff on Facebook. All documented. So the Club of Rome is really important, and this is key. 1968, that was set up. And I'm just going to read from one of their official documents, actually in a book, The First Global Revolution. And it looks like a communist manifesto. It's got all red all over it and big black letters. <laughs> That'll tell you. 
These yeah. are ultra-rich capitalists, but they're using the Marxist nonsense to get power. And the people fall for that because it's all about all of us together. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. they said, in searching for a common enemy against whom we can unite, i.e. the ultra-rich and the power brokers of the world, we came up with the idea that the threat of global warming, water shortages and the like, would fit the bill. They said this. They're admitting it. That would fit the bill. Hmm, we can use that. So these people decided that climate disaster was a strategy to get global government long before any scientists were involved. Now, of course, through their UN and the UN IPCC, the Inter or International Panel on Climate Change, over decades, they funded and funded and funded climate disaster modeling. And they got rid of all the scientists who were saying, mm, I'm not sure I agree. And they've ended up with a whole field full of yes men and yes women. You see, it's not hard. It just takes many, many decades. And that's what they've got now. This document also said, and it's a quote and published, all these dangers caused by humans, supposedly, um, the real enemy then is humanity itself. So they decided that the new enemy after the Cold War would be us, not them, because they got private jets and caviar and champagne. They'd rule over the future world governments, so they were fine. But the real enemy was humanity. That means the 99.99%. And that's what they've done. And that's why we have all this madness going on. And none of it makes real scientific sense, because it's just part of a corporate, very well-constructed long-game strategy and uh, program. And it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but the funny thing, this last thing I'll say, Darren, on this, sorry, I'll let you in, but no, you the funny thing is I spent 20 years in management and corporate and got involved in some pretty, pretty sleazy stuff in many ways. Um, this is an exact mirror image of how we did it in corporate. There's a tops down structure from the VPs down, the management layer impose the strategies and we also weed out engineers who have ethical concerns against certain manufacturing mass volume production of stuff that maybe will fail before it should because more profits this thing i'm talking about is exactly what we did just at a much higher level but the beauty of crony capitalism corporate capitalism and uh, working with government which is fascism the definition of it the beauty of it is it's scalable it's so organized and structured it is scalable up to any level so people think but how could this be happening and coordinated well they don't understand that corporate and institutional corruption is scalable it can go to any level that's an important thing and that's why we have a problem mm. essentially and we saw that actually with COVID, with the fact that it was a global event that involved yes. every single country, apart from the poorest who couldn't afford tests. So they didn't have a pandemic like Nepal in some yeah. places in Africa, but they didn't matter. Um, so we saw how scalable it was uh, with respect to that. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, oh, the, the problem on earth is humanity itself. I think some of those scientists who are going along uh, with the climate change narrative for a few dollars uh, call it the disease 
species of the Anthropocene. Uh, uh, they actually view the public as a virus uh, on the planet. And that might be, well, they want to get rid uh, of some of us and reduce our numbers because we'll be easier to control. Uh, I'm being a bit conspiratorial there, uh, Ivor. I apologize for that. Well, um, what are the solutions to this? What, what can the public uh, do to push back? Because I think they are waking up. Not enough, not in big enough numbers. There's no riots, no pitchforks yet. I keep saying we need some pitchforks. Um, but people are waking up to it. And I think climate change is the narrative, which is the underlying narrative, that's actually uh, helping people wake up because people can see the weather when they look outside their window. What can those people who have woken up, apart from waking more people up, do to push back against this agenda? Because we're running out of time. Okay, we're going to be quick. So the thing about climate change, climate change, of course, changes. And there may very well be an effect from uh, human intervention, uh, but there's no way it's a catastrophe and there's no way it's relevant to a big problem in the next 100 years. So the climate change science is so ludicrous in its fundamentals against clear facts like you, you can see yourself. Uh, that's why it's having an effect of people beginning to think what the hell's going on. It gives COVID a run for its money in terms of ludicrousness. What can we do? The big thing is, unfortunately, it sounds a bit weak. It's awareness. If 20% of people had a good grasp of this story from Southampton, which is Dr. Jakob Nordengard's, and we got it shared enough, it's all geopolitics, all documented. The one thing I tell people is don't talk about chemtrails. Don't talk about 5G. I don't care if they're real. I don't care if they're a problem, right? Don't talk about stuff that is not fully published and documented. Because if you do, you're going to lose the room. Yeah. You'll just have an echo chamber of people who are angry and they know something's wrong and they're jumping on every latest supposed threat. This stuff, the Northern Guard story, the geopolitics, the fully documented history is self-evident proof that what's going on is a scam. It's self-evident, right? Mm -hmm. We need to focus. They know that if a large minority were aware of the geopolitical history, this is just history, then they would have a massive problem because people increasingly would just not listen and they would not accept their own politicians being the butt puppets of a bunch of super rich guys, right, who are gaming us all. So I think the awareness is huge. The other thing, it's like a two-hander, is do not comply and do not engage with the nonsense. So use cash, minimal electronic, keep the systems of freedom alive, get local producers of food, make an effort, if you can, pay a little more. Real food locally, support the farmers in their struggle because they're going after the farmers support your farmers, support the people to make the food, because we're dealing with not lizards, as I forget who used to say. No, these are just ultra rich, very nasty men who have realized that their need, they have more money than they can ever do anything with. Their need, their lust is for power and control. They want to run the ant farm. It's their desire because they have more money than they can do anything with. And Bill Gates is crystal clear in that position. So are all the others. Don't let them do it. Go to the real people, the 99.9% .9 who produce your food, who are part of your community, and band together and push back on your idiot politicians and tell them you won't accept them getting votes from you and immediately asking the boys up top what they want mm -hmm. them to do.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, mass non-compliance is probably our way out of it. I see there's some people also saying, Darren, now I think pitchforks is also a way out of it. I'm Uh concerned that ultimately uh, mass non-compliance will probably just be met by force by the establishment and we are barreling towards a situation where we might have guns on one side pitchforks on the other and it will be a a battle to see who wins uh you see that as a likely possibility or because we're coming to the end of the show now last minute have we got something other than that positive to say to the audience either and you've been a fantastic guest by the way Oh, no, thanks so much, Darren. Well, I'd say, look, inevitably, understanding the full root cause tapestry and understanding geopolitics, and the other advantage I had was as a World War II buff for decades. I've watched thousands of hours of documentaries, and anyone who's a World War II buff, generally, they saw this thing for what it was. And the Eastern Europeans and the people who used to be under communist rule, they didn't fall for COVID, right? So the problem is we have a fat lazy three generations since World War II population in the West and they are literally their cannon fodder for this nonsense. So a positive thing, I think ULEZ was a good example for international people. ULEZ is the ultra ultra low emissions in London. Complete nonsense. But people are now putting covers over cameras and I'm not promoting, you know, law breaking.